Hey everyone, welcome back to Seeking Witchcraft. It's me, your host, Ashley. Today, I have an in-person recording with my good friend, Sherry, who is here to talk about yoga and witchcraft. So thanks so much for coming on, Sherry. Hi, everyone. I'll just introduce myself real quick. My name is Sherry. I am a certified yoga instructor at the 200-hour level. Um, I'm also a gardenarian, which Ashley is actually my high priestess. So I have her to thank for a lot of, you know, just everything I've learned over the past few years about witchcraft. I'm very grateful. Um, And in addition to uh, teaching yoga, I'm also a runner and a powerlifter. I'm very passionate about fitness and movement and how it can be incorporated into a witchcraft practice and how the two can fuel one another. Awesome. Well, I do not practice yoga, so I am here to learn right along with all of you. And I guess my first question is, so how does yoga and witchcraft fit in with each other? So to start, they actually share the same goals. And these goals are to increase wisdom, increase your psychic abilities, explore yourself and attain higher levels of consciousness and connect with divinity or spirit or whatever it is that you might be worshiping. Um, The difference is yoga has a very holistic approach to these goals because of the physical aspect of the practice. And I think that that physical aspect of yoga makes it increasingly beneficial to to a witchcraft practice and it can help a witch carry out their magic more efficiently. So, you know, caring for your physical body and making it stronger can clear your mind and your focus, and it allows your energy to flow more freely. So that means that you can manipulate your own energy towards your magical goals. So that's why I think yoga and witchcraft go so well together. Awesome. Well, I've tried to do yoga in the past. It's it's been a, it's not been my favorite go-to exercise. I think partially because I have carpal tunnel that has developed in my hands over the years because I text way too goddamn much. And yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of a struggle for me, but that doesn't mean I'm not open to practicing yoga. Uh, I'm especially interested in learning more about how I can tie the two things in together because maybe if I learn how to get witchcraft with yoga, I'll be a little bit more susceptible to actually doing it more often. Well, the good news is I'm actually going to be discussing the eight limbs of yoga and asana, i.e. the physical practice and the poses is just one limb. So there are seven other things that you can do that are still yoga. So even if you can't do the physical practice or if your physical practice is very limited, you can still do that. Perfect. Well, let's get right into it. Yeah, so I'll start by going over the eight limbs of yoga just so everybody has a better idea of what a yoga practice looks like because I think in the Western world we have this idea where yoga is, you know, just these fancy headstands and poses that look really cute on Instagram, but that's like that barely covers the surface. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about the other aspects. So I have a question. So why is it called eight limbs? Like what what's that about? So they're each a component of the overall practice. Okay. Yeah. So they all go together, although I will say there's a caveat. The last three limbs are practiced together and they're kind of grouped together. So most of the limbs can be practiced. Some of them need to be attained. So I'll go more into the specifics of that once we go through the limbs individually. Okay, cool. Yeah. So the the first two limbs are the yama and niyama. So these are the moral guidelines of a yoga practice. So the yama are your moral guidelines that you engage in with others. The niyama are your moral guidelines with yourself. So the the goal of these 
uh, two limbs is to help make you just a better person overall. And I'm not going to go into them in great detail because we could sit here forever and talk about them. But I'll just mention one of the yama is ahimsa. And that was one that had a very, very big impact on me. Ahimsa is nonviolent, so not hurting other people, obviously intentionally. Um, so that is not just physically hurting somebody, but also speaking unkindly to somebody. And Cursing I, somebody. Hexing yeah, somebody. exactly. Putting their name in a, in a cow heart with pins and, you know. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. <laughs> as, as you may or may not do. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that one can also be applied to yourself, which is something that I really worked on last year that I actually did incorporate into a, a witchcraft project that I was working on where I was working with a goddess focusing on self-love. So I was also telling myself that I was practicing, practicing ahimsa, so not using unkind or, you know, violent language, I guess, towards myself and just being a little bit kinder to myself and catching myself in those moments where I'm like, oh my God, I'm so stupid. Oh my God, why did I say that? You know, walking back and, and telling myself, no, I can speak to myself more kindly. And then one of the niyama, the, the moral guidelines with oneself, that is really beneficial to witchcraft, I think, is called svedyaya. So that is self-study. So reflecting on your actions, on your thoughts, and how they impact you and others around you, and just engaging in, you know, even a journaling practice, things like that, because that's also a big thing in witchcraft is that self-reflection. You know, some people think about it as shadow work. So I think that that's very relevant to a witchcraft practice as well. So are these things that are part of, like, stretches and yogas are, are these just like mental things that are part of yoga overall as a practice yeah so these are just part of yoga overall as a practice so actually the next uh limb is asana so that is the physical practice that's just one limb on its own one eighth of the practice is the physical practice where you know you're on the mat using blocks or whatever and doing poses, you know, down dog, sun salutations, things like that. That is just one limb. So that's the third limb, asana. Um, I don't think I need to go into too much detail on that one because that's the one that people are the most familiar with. So if I went to like a yoga class at my gym or yoga studio, it's going to be like that probably? Depends on the studio that you go to. So the ones that are focused on more like actual eastern authentic yoga they will probably have you do some meditation some breath work and some of the other limbs they'll probably focus on one of the yama or niyama throughout the practice so that you meditate on that as you're flowing so um it, it really just depends on where you go but yeah a lot of like bigger gyms that you know they, they just have yoga as one of their classes of selection they might not go much into the other limbs it might just be that they assume that people are just there to stretch and they're not going to talk as much about the other limbs. But it really just depends on where you go and who your teacher is. Yeah, I went to a yoga class at a gym. Um, it's a chain gym called Lifetime Fitness, and it was very much a uh, stretching. We're here to burn calories to some extent because it wasn't hot yoga and it wasn't like cardio, but it was not super relaxing either. I, I don't I don't know. It was, it was difficult. Yeah, that sounds like a fire flow, which those can be spiritual in nature, but... I, I would assume that at a at a larger gym like that is probably more physically focused. Yeah, yeah this didn't feel very spiritual. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So yeah, the the fourth limb is called pranayama. So this is breath work, and 
This is one of my favorite things to talk about because I love breathwork. It has changed my life in so many ways. Breathwork is super associated with witchcraft, by the way, guys, if you do not know this. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I can see where we're going with this, but... Yes. <laughs> yes, please, please. Yeah, so pranayama is meant to cleanse your aura. And by harmonizing breath and thought, you can increase your psychic power. And this enhances your ability to focus on your will or anything that you're casting a spell for. And it can also help one focus their mind and energy on one thing, which also leads to more efficient spell work if you have that, if you have a strengthened ability to focus on something. It can also make it easier to project through the planes if that is something that you wish to do, any kind of astral projection. I find it a lot easier after doing some breath work. It's a little bit more accessible that way. Um, And I guess just a note with breath work, it is meant to be uncomfortable. And I think a lot of people, especially if they're doing yoga at home on video and their instructor has them do breath work at the beginning of class, some might skip it. I'm guilty of that. When I first started doing yoga, I was like, I don't like breath work. It's too uncomfortable. I'm skipping this part. I'm going to join when we're doing the physical stuff. And then one day I gave it a try and it changed my life. So if you're one of those people that doesn't do the breath work because it's uncomfortable, just remember that it's meant to be. And that's part of the benefit is, you know, you put yourself under pressure on your mat by doing this breath work and holding the breath so you can be under pressure in the outside world and handle a little bit better. So when I was in outer court, we were given some instruction on breath work. And I remember telling my high priestess, I was like, why do I need to practice breath work? I have lived my entire life up until this point breathing. Obviously, I'm still alive. And um, I mean, maybe I was just being a little sassy when I was saying that because I didn't really know too much about breath work. But uh, yeah, it's definitely a vital part of practice, being able to get yourself into a different state of consciousness, for example, with breath work, like a trance state is absolutely very beneficial. Um, So yeah, yeah, breath work is important. And please don't be sassy like I was. I'm very lucky that my priestess did not kick me out right then and there (laughs) for for saying that. Yeah, and I I would like to also add that um, just a couple minutes of breath work gets me to a mental state that I usually need to do like 10 or 15 minutes of meditation for. So that's one of the other added benefits. It's really just like a quick route to get to a heightened mental state. So if you if you want to get started with breath work, I think Breath of Fire is probably the most accessible one. I wish that I could demonstrate, but I'm not on video here. But basically you pump the breath, your exhales out through your nose and you pump your belly as you're doing it. It's also called skull shining breath because it just cleanses all the junk out of your head that you don't really need to be there. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a really good one to start, I think. Could you, um, I know you explained it a little bit and you, if you don't want to do this on, on recorded, I understand, but would you be able to like demonstrate what it could sound like so somebody can follow and see if they're doing it correctly? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And so, if you don't like ASMR, I mean, this is probably going to be the opposite from <laughs> ASMR, but if you don't like breath work, just skip ahead in like 30 seconds. Yeah, but if, <laughs> if it sounds like this, this is how you know you're doing it right. So you basically do that for as many rounds as you want to do, and then you hold the breath at the end. And then when you absolutely have to, pop the cork, release the breath, and just compare how you feel after that to how you felt before, and I'm sure you'll notice a difference. It kind of sounds like a dog panting, Mm -hmm. but very intensely and through your nose. Yeah, yeah. 
Lots of sniffing. <laughs> and, you know, maybe not so great for people dealing with allergies in allergy season, but hey, it is what it is. Also, if, you know, maybe it'll clear your nose out. <laughs> I was just going to say that it can actually clear, um, you know, some of your congestion. I, I use it for that purpose sometimes. But that being said, sometimes I'm so congested that I can't even do it. It like makes my ears pop. So, you know, <laughs> depends on how congested you are, but worth a try. So if your ears pop, don't be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> So next we'll move on to Pratyahara. So this is the next limb. This is known as sensory withdrawal. Ooh. Yeah, it's it's a more advanced practice, obviously, than pranayama. Um, so to practice Pratyahara, you would cover your sensory organs with your hands and cover them for as long as you can. So you'd cover your eyes, plug your nose, keep your mouth closed, and plug your ears. So there's a certain way that you can do that with your hands that I obviously can't demonstrate. Uh, without a video, but you would do that for as long as you can, and then you release your hands, and you try to maintain that sensory stillness in in your sensory organs, so just try to remain still. So yeah, the only thing about this is once you take your hands off of your sensory organs and you're trying to maintain that stillness, don't fight your own awareness, because then you're kind of defeating the purpose of the practice if you're trying too hard you want to keep coming back to this practice until it feels a little bit more effortless so just keep that in mind if you do engage in this practice and one of the benefits of pratyahara is it can help the body gather power and you can immerse yourself in an experience without sensory distractions so this can help if you're trying to connect with a deity or sense energy or anything like that this might be a good practice to try to engage in for that. And there's a witchcraft practice that this is pretty comparable to. If you're ever using a veil to meditate or do any kind of ancestor work where you put a veil over your head, this is kind of similar to that where you're trying to block out any kind of sensory distractions that might take you away from, you know, the mental, emotional, and spiritual experience that you're you're trying to have. Definitely would be a good idea to try around Samhain too. Definitely. Like, if you guys haven't done a ritual on Samhain wearing a veil, I recommend it. That said, if you do a ritual on Samhain wearing a veil, um, be aware if there are candles and (laughs) fire around that you are not wearing something flammable or that you are in a safe environment to be doing that. Yeah, please don't hurt yourself. (laughs) Yeah, please don't catch on fire. We're not trying to do that. Yeah, no. So now that we've discussed the first five limbs, we're going to talk about the last three called Samyama. So these are the three components of meditation in yoga. Um, So the first one is dharana. That is concentration. So this is basic meditation where you just close your eyes, concentrate on one thing, and try to achieve a meditative state. The next step is the seventh limb called dhyana. So that is concentration without awareness. That is the ability to to see the underlying truth of what you are meditating on. So it's basically meditation without having to put effort into it. So this is something that can't be practiced, but it's achieved. So dharana, which is just basic concentration, that is practiced. If you practice dharana enough, you reach dhyana is what I'm getting at here. So when you reach Diana, you start to understand the separation of yourself from the object on which you're meditating, but you also recognize your connection to that object and you begin to see that pretty much everything on this earth is of the same fabric and that we're all interconnected. 
And then the last limb is samadhi. So this is known as union with the divine, absorption of or union with one's ego. Some people think of it as ego death. Um, but you basically become one with the object that you are meditating on. So dhyana and samadhi, they cannot be practiced. They are reached as a result of all the other practices that I've been discussing so far. So once you reach samadhi, which is one of the end goals of a yoga practice, like I said, it's, it's almost similar to what people think of as an ego death. Your identity disappears and you become one with the universe. Your veils of perception are lifted, meaning everything that you have been socialized to believe because of the outside world, you know, materialism and things like that. You see through all of that and you see everything for what it truly is. Your wisdom and your consciousness are raised and it can, it can really change who you are once you reach, the, reach this point. And it's said that this state cannot be described or expressed in words because it's beyond our comprehension. So I am just, you know, relaying to you what I have learned this state to be. And this is also considered to be our natural spiritual state at birth, um, but we lose it as a result of, like I said, everything that, you know, we see in our society, everything that we become socialized to believe. And those beliefs and, you know, any kind of negative thoughts that you harbor are the main things that can hold you back from reaching this state, but it is achievable. So with these states, are these, I, I guess I kind of asked this question towards the beginning, but now I'm kind of re-asking it. Are these states of, like, you're meditating and then this happens, or are these just, like, one day you wake up and you're like, I have reached this? Like, like how does this happen? So you have to put the effort in. You have to engage in all the other practices to reach this state. You will never randomly wake up one day and be like, oh, I finally did it. You know, you, you're going to gradually get there. And one of my teachers always likes to say it takes effort to be effortless. And I think that's a really good way to describe this state is you have to put in the effort and eventually all those things that you've been putting the effort into feel effortless. Wow, that sounds like witchcraft. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well... Not, well, I, I don't want to say witchcraft can be effortless. I mean, it can be, but more in the sense of what I'm talking about, of having to put in that work and get up and, and experiment and do some spells. Some that might work, some that might not work, and experiment with circling and ritual and whatever you want to do in your practice uh, until one day you just feel really confident what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I read this quote the other day. It, it was something like, God, I'm going to butcher it. It was so lovely the way it was written. So sorry, you have to hear it from me. But it was said something like, imagine all the things that you would be great at if you allowed yourself to be a beginner. And I was like, damn, man, that that hurt reading that. But it was true. Um, so really quick, I had actually something funny I thought about this with the samadhi. That's how you say mm -hmm. samadhi? Samadhi, yeah. Samadhi. So when uh, the very first time Azazel came to my house, and we uh, we were hanging out. He was telling me that him and I think like a coven sibling of his or something used to joke around and say Smotty instead of Somo to be. It was just like the acronym. And I and he kept saying it. And I was like, stop saying that. Like you're gonna piss off a spirit or something. You keep saying Smotty instead of Somo to be. And he like was like, oh whatever, ha ha. And then he kept fucking saying it. And then eventually, one time he said it. And right after he said it, I had a brand new candle holder in my apartment, like, by my wine bar that we had a tea light in, and what do you fucking know? It just exploded. 
The other one that, because I had two of them, the other one didn't explode, but that it, that one did. And I was like, see, stop fucking saying it. And, and you know what? He stopped saying it after that. Um, so I know that's not the same thing as what you were talking about, but they sound very similar. And I, I thought of that moment and I was both re-annoyed and also laughing internally about it again. That is a great and also not surprising story at all. <laughs> So now we're going to go into some yoga practices that can help if you are someone who struggles with meditation. And I have ADHD, so sitting still is very much a struggle for me, so some of these practices have helped a lot. So if sitting still is also an issue for you, asana can help. Um, that is the, the physical practice of yoga, so it's, it's thought of as a moving meditation. So if you think of it that way, where you're focusing on your breath as you're going through the asanas, it's meditative. And if you want to do something a little bit slower that feels closer to meditation, you could try restorative or yin yoga. So that's a little bit slower. You hold the poses for a little bit longer than you would if you were doing, let's say, a vinyasa or a hatha flow. And, what are yeah. those? Okay, yeah. <laughs> for somebody who has yeah. no idea what that is. <laughs> to back up, yeah. So uh, vinyasa and hatha flows are a little bit faster paced. They're not as quick as you know, what you would think of as a fire flow, like the type of yoga class where you would get super sweaty, but they are a little bit faster and you link your breath to your movement. So on your inhale, you do a certain movement on your exhale, you do a certain movement. And then there are times in the class when you hold a pose for a little bit longer, but the, the main goal is to link breath to movement with restorative or yin yoga. It's a lot slower. You hold the poses for a long time. It, it definitely takes a lot more discipline and I'm not gonna lie I don't do a lot of restorative in yin yoga because I'm such a jittery person and I always want to just like be moving all the time that being said I know deep down that it would be greatly beneficial if I did more of it <laughs> but yeah the the next uh step that you can take if you are struggling with meditation is trying breath work so if you don't want to just sit there quietly you can have something to focus on, which is your breath. You can, you know, do certain kinds of breath work that you need to put that mental focus on and try not to get distracted. Try to keep your mind on your breath the whole time, whether it's just now I inhale, now I exhale, or you're doing breath of fire, the one that I demonstrated earlier, or any of the other breath work practices that uh, are part of yoga. I think that can be deeply beneficial. So I went to a pagan pride day a couple of years ago and I went to some sort of like trance work, yoga, breath work, meditation, something in that realm. They're all kind of related. And I cannot tell you what it was called that she had us do, but um, I remember part of it. She had us do this breath work thing and she was like, this can help you get into a trance state. And there was this thing where she was like, okay, at the end, I'll tell you when we're going to like, you know, open your eyes and all that. And this one woman like kept going because she was so in it that she didn't realize um but it was this thing where and maybe you know what I'm talking about maybe you don't know what I'm talking about and that's fine because I don't know what I'm talking about because <laughs> I just went to this class um where you essentially like hold one side of your nose and then you you breathe in and then you close the other I'm sorry I'm doing it as in case my voice sounds weird you breathe you um then switch to like your index finger and you breathe out the other side um so your thumb closes one breathe in thumb comes off, index finger goes on the other side of the nose, breathe out. But while we were doing that, and I do this sometimes, there's also a hand movement with it. Okay, put your hand out, unless you're driving, don't put your hand out. And you touch your thumb to your index finger, 
and then your thumb to your middle, thumb to your ring, thumb to your pinky, and then you go back and you just keep going like up and down, up and down while you're doing the nose thing. So she had us doing that. And yeah, that was a thing that like the girl was still doing (laughs) even when the instructor told us to come back. So sometimes I'll do the hand thing if I'm like feeling fidgety and I just want to like do something with my hands while I'm meditating. Um, Have you heard of this before? (laughs) Yeah, that's actually one of my favorites. It's called Nadi Shodhana. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) So it's also known as alternate nostril breathing where you would take um, your index finger and your middle finger, put them to your third eye in between your eyebrows. Uh, I like to use this one for third eye stimulation because of that. And then you would plug your right nostril with your thumb and your left nostril with your ring finger. And you just go back and forth. Um, And then... What you did with your other hand is called a mudra. So when you connect your index finger and your thumb, that represents your personal connection to spirit or to the universe. Yeah, so that is actually one of my favorites. It is very good for trance work. It's also good for, um, you know, getting in touch with your third eye energy. So, yes, that's a good one. I love that one. (laughs) Yeah, and if you want to do something with your hands, you can do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you're fidgety, that's a good one. Mm -hmm. It's like a built-in fidget toy exactly (laughs) so the next thing that you can do is called mantra so i think a lot of witches do this already uh so to break down the word man means think tra means conducive so you are thinking a thought that you want to be actually leading to something that manifests in real life so this gives the practitioner a word or phrase to focus their mind and energy on and this can also intensify your consciousness. It's, it's very similar to spell work where you're putting all your energy onto one thing. And you, if you're using a mantra, it's just a, a chant or a phrase that you repeat over and over again. You can say it in your head if speaking out loud during meditation distracts you. I don't really like to talk during my meditations. It, it kind of takes me out of the meditative state. So you can just repeat it in your head and, and do it that way. There's also, like, if you want an example of one you could use that's, like, goddess-focused, there's the one that goes Isis, Astarte, Diana, Hecate, Demeter, Kali, Inanna. And there's a song, you can actually, like, look it up, that's called that on Spotify or YouTube or Apple. And um, it's just people singing that song and saying that over and over and over again. Um, that's a pretty common one I've heard people use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can even use it if, you know, you're trying to manifest something. So let's say that you are trying to work on your self-confidence. You could repeat a mantra, you know, I am confident and I am beautiful, something like that. You know, what, whatever speaks to you, whatever you can wholeheartedly believe. You might not believe it the first couple times you repeat it, but if you keep going, you'll you'll get there. Trust me. If you've ever seen The Love Witch... <laughs> There's a point where Elaine does this, but if you have not seen the movie, I don't want to spoil it for you, but she's using a mantra of sorts, mm-hmm. um, not in a positive way, towards towards another person, but um, th- there's an example of that in that movie. <laughs> there is indeed. <laughs> so the next thing you can try is working with the chakras. So for those who are unfamiliar with the chakras, there's seven of them, so root chakra, sacral chakra, solar plexus, heart, throat, third eye, crown. In crown, yes, I almost forgot it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you can start working with the energy in those chakras. Uh, again, just for the sake of time, I'm not going to go into detail about every single chakra. I do have an episode on this too with Allison. I think it was like one of the, one of the first episodes we ever did on the podcast. 
there you go. So you can refer to that one if you're trying to figure out which chakra you want to work with for your specific goal. Um, I also think that working with the chakras is really good for helping you sense energy because you put your focus on an energy center within yourself when you're working with a chakra, whether you're doing a chakra-based asana flow or a chakra meditation. You, you're putting your focus there and you'll start to feel that energy the more that you work with it. So just for an example, you could work with your root chakra if you are trying to decrease anxiety because your root chakra is connected with the earth element, it's very calming. You could work with your solar plexus chakra if you're trying to increase your confidence or willpower since that's what the solar plexus represents. And you know, I feel like an obvious one is working with the third eye chakra to increase your psychic abilities. And I also like to incorporate the chakra correspondences into my spell work. So whether that's, you know, burning a certain type of incense that is associated with the chakra that I'm working with or using a certain color of candles, certain essential oils, crystals, things like that, you can use the chakras as, you know, a guide to figure out what you want to put on your altar and what you want to work with for a spell too. So now that I've mentioned the chakras, I also do want to address the issue of cultural appropriation. So obviously the chakras and yoga, they are both Eastern practices and ideas. And I am a white Westerner practicing these things. So cultural appropriation is obviously a big issue in both yoga and chakra work. And I am not claiming to be, you know, the yoga authority. This is not a practice in my ancestral line. This is something that I started doing that has just been deeply beneficial to me. And that's why I want to speak on it, because maybe it can help others. But I also say this with the understanding that, you know, yoga has been very westernized over the past decades. And I actually started out practicing yoga in a very westernized way and slowly shifted to a more Eastern yoga practice because that is, I think, the authentic practice. So I just want to address that before I move on. But yeah, the next thing I am going to discuss is what to do if you want to get started in yoga and you don't know where to start. So just know that you don't need to be flexible to do yoga and you don't need to do headstands. I don't do headstands. I'm really strong. I'm a power lifter and I don't do headstands because I can't do them. They're not necessary. Um, and just no matter where your body is at, know that the most advanced yoga practice is using props and modifying poses so that they fit your body. So if you want to use five yoga blocks and a blanket and a cushion in your practice, do that. Please do that. I use blocks every day. I love using blocks. The, the purpose of the asana practice is to honor your body. And if you are not respecting your body's boundaries, then you're not honoring yourself and your body. And I also like to think of using blocks, cushions, yoga straps, any kind of prop that makes a pose more accessible is scaffolding for the body. It's, it's a way to set a healthy boundary on your mat so that you can take that practice off the mat and set healthy boundaries in your life. So that's, that's kind of a metaphor that I like to use when I'm using props in my yoga practice. I do want to say, so as somebody who's had a bit of a knee injury since last year, um, while still going to the gym since last year, uh, I've had to learn to be humble with where my body's limitations are at because... For example, when we're doing squats, like my one knee is completely fine. I can go all the way down, but the other knee has an issue where I can't. 
And I've definitely, absolutely pushed it past its boundaries a lot. And I've had my trainers talk to me about it of like, I need to respect where my body is at and take it day by day. And it can be very, very frustrating. I get very frustrated of like, knowing I can go a little bit farther because my one side of my body is completely fine, but the other side is, like, having this issue. I don't really know what's going on. It's either, like, bursitis or tendonitis, some bullshit stuff. But it's annoying either way. And it only really affects me when I'm doing, it like, leg workouts and when you exercise. You use your legs as you turn out, as it turns out, and your knees especially. Um, so I just wanted to comment on that of sometimes you have to be humble and just see where your body's at and just work with that and... It takes a long time sometimes for your body to get to a point where you don't have to uh, limit it as much. But yeah, you just got to take it day by day. And it can be frustrating. And I know I've been there. I am there right now. (laughs) Yeah, just do whatever you have to do to make the poses accessible for you. And just to also uh, comment on what Ashley was saying, something that I like to say when I'm teaching yoga classes is... Our bodies are not symmetrical and they are not meant to be. So if you are doing pigeon pose, let's say, and you can get really deep into pigeon pose on one side, you don't need any props and you are just good to go. Cool. The other side, you might need a bunch of blocks or a cushion to make that pose accessible because let's say one hip is tighter than the other. Your hips are a little bit uneven. Just understand that your body doesn't need to be perfect. It doesn't need to be symmetrical. Just be where you are in that moment and respect it and honor your body in that moment. I do want to go back and ask you, I know what they are and we talked about it a bit, but if somebody doesn't know what a yoga block is, <laughs> what is that? And, and also, what could you use a yoga strap for? Like, what are some things you could use to be more accessible? Yeah, definitely. So a yoga block, they're usually made of cork. Some are made of foam and they're literally just like a rectangular block yeah block like a brick (laughs) um and you can use it for really anything you can put your hands on it when you're in downward dog if you want to make it a little bit more accessible if down dog hurts your shoulders or something um you can also use it in a forward fold if you can't touch your mat or the ground with your hands you can just put your hands on the blocks you're still doing a forward fold uh you can use it in I, i don't know if Anyone is going to know what I'm referring to here, but Trikonasana triangle pose. I have no idea what you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> <laughs> um, if, if you look it up and you see a picture, just know that you can put the hand that's next to the leg that's forward on a block so that it's a little bit more accessible of a pose. That's what I like to use them for. You can use a yoga strap for so many things. One of them, if you're laying on your back and let's say you're doing a, a hamstring stretch where you have one leg in the air, If you can't reach the leg with your hands, you can just use a yoga strap, wrap it around the bottom of your foot, and hold it that way and still do the pose. So yeah, there there are so many uses for the props. Don't be afraid to use them. It doesn't make you look weak. It actually makes you look smart. Like I said, it's it's the most advanced practice is, is honoring your body. And another thing you can do if some of the poses feel inaccessible or you started a yoga class and you realize your body just can't do it take a child's pose or you can sit and meditate the entire class like i know one of my teachers has done that where she showed up to a class was having a terrible day and thought she was going to get through the class realized that she just physically wasn't there for it and just sat in a meditative seat the entire class and meditated and just the energy in the room of being in a room full of fellow yogis she felt tremendously better when she left. And I, I think about that story a lot because I think that 
that really speaks to the energy that is raised in a yoga class when you're practicing with other people in the same room. So yeah, another thing that you can do if you want to get started in a yoga practice is start with the chakras or the elements if you want to approach it from a more witchcraft perspective. So if you already work with the chakras or elements, I would say try to do those in a, in a yoga practice. There are tons of chakra-based flows and meditations that you can do. Uh, there are also a lot of ways you can work with the elements in a yoga practice, so that includes sun salutations. That is working with the element of fire. There are also water salutations that you can do. Um, if you wanted to do a more earth-based flow, that would be a lot of, you know, very grounding poses, nothing where you're like balancing on one leg or doing headstands or anything. It'd be very like earthy, close to the ground types of poses. So there are so many ways that you can, can incorporate the chakras and the elements into your yoga practice. My next tip would be when you do an asana practice, don't skip Shavasana. So many people do that. They're like, okay, I did all the physical stuff and now we're just gonna lay on the ground and that's really boring. So I'm just gonna like leave class. Don't do that. I've done that a few times. <laughs> when I, I was back when I first started and I didn't know that much about yoga or the purpose of it. And I was like, oh, I'm just stretching. Uh, Shavasana is where the magic happens. Anyone who's taken a yoga class and has been in Shavasana and actually taken the time to feel and sense their own energy, you can literally like feel the molecules moving on your body. You can feel all the energy that was raised from all the work that you just put into your physical practice. So you really do feel the magic in that moment. So I would say don't skip Shavasana. It's so beneficial. Also, it's, it's a nice pose. You're laying on your back. Like what could be better? <laughs> My next tip would be to read the Yoga Sutras. It's an ancient text written by Patanjali. Um, so this is basically the text that you would read if you wanted to dive deeper into your practice or if you wanted to become a teacher. Most yoga teacher trainings make you read the Yoga Sutras. If you don't want to read an ancient text and it's, that's really not for you and you can't get through it, then at least try to learn about them, you know, find an article, maybe look up a podcast about the Yoga Sutras so that you at least know what they are so that you can dive deeper into the practice and get more out of it. And then my next tip is try a guided meditation. That's another thing to do if you struggle with meditation too. You know, try it guided. It can help a lot. I have two guided meditations on my podcast. <laughs> And I, I do one of those very frequently. It's oh, great. really? <laughs> yeah, the path working. I love that one. Oh. Yes. Is it the one by Lucette or the one that I did? The one that you did. Oh. Yeah. I always have such a great experience with that one, so I do it a lot. Oh, thank you. That yes. was one of my uh, beginner episodes, too. I loved it. Thanks. So, yeah, just to uh, finish things off, I'm going to talk about how to incorporate yoga into your witchcraft practice. Yay! Yes. So you can honor the Sabbaths and the seasons with yoga practices. So one example that I can give here is at the summer solstice, it is traditional to do 108 sun salutations. 108 is a sacred number in yoga. Again, not going to go into all the details about why, because we could sit here forever and talk about that. But I always honor the summer solstice with 108 sun salutations to honor the sun. And a lot of people, especially experienced yogis, will alter their practice with the seasons. So certain seasons focus more on opening up the lungs. 
the hips, you know, it, it really just depends on, you know, whether you're using traditional Chinese medicine or what, what type of practice you're using to find those correspondences. But there are a lot of ways that you can uh, align your yoga practice with the Sabbaths and the seasons. There's also with the astrological, I mean, I'm not into astrology, but Tiana has let me know many times that there's a body part associated with each sign. That's funny. My next one is align your asana flows with astrology there, or moon phases. Yeah. <laughs> So every new moon and every full moon, I will do moon salutations. So that is just, you know, a way to honor the moon on your mat. It's actually one of my favorite salutations. So um, you can also do asana flows that are aligned with whatever astrological season you're in at the moment. So there are so many ways you can, you can incorporate astrology and, and moon phases into your yoga practice. You can also, like I said earlier, work with the elements and chakras. And you can also use asana or pranayama to prepare for spell work. This is actually one of my favorite things to do. I very rarely do a ritual that I don't do breath work before. It really just gets me into the ritual mindset. And it can also just help you raise your energy before you even enter the circle. So I think that's just a really great way to, to set your body and your mind up for success in, in your ritual or in your spell work. Breath work mixed with some sort of vibration, like intonations. Mm-hmm. You can't see me, but I'm, <laughs> I'm given like a chef's kiss. It's amazing. Yes, we love it. <laughs> <laughs> and then just the last thing I would almost go as far as saying that you could maybe use yoga to cast a spell. And I'll admit that I've never tried it, but at the beginning of most yoga classes, you're asked to set an intention for your class. You know, you're, you're looking for what difference do you want to feel after the class compared to before the class started. So you can use yoga because of what it does for your mind and body to allow you to manifest things and, and to maybe even cast a spell or manifest something. Awesome. Well, cool. I, I think like the next yoga class I do, I'll do that. And Sherry, if you ever do a, a live yoga class, either online or in person, I will keep that in mind to use this for spell work. Yes, I want to start. So <laughs> hopefully soon. Awesome. So as you know, because you have listened to my podcast in the past, what is one piece of advice that you would give a beginner does not have to be related to yoga and what we talked about today? Honestly, I'd just say have an open mind and try anything. Uh, Just some examples of this. I always thought that dancing and ritual seemed so silly. I was like, oh, I feel so fucking stupid if I do that. And then I did it in OC and I was like, this is the best thing ever. And now I dance in almost every ritual I do, even my like solo rituals. And also when I say just fuck around and try anything, I mean, no one gave me a guide to how to incorporate yoga and witchcraft together or you know I, I use witchcraft in my lifting and running as well no one told me how to do that I just kind of figured it out on my own so if there's any kind of hobby or anything else that you're passionate about and you think damn it'd be really cool if I could incorporate my witchcraft practice into this as well just give it a try whether it's you know knitting or painting or whatever there's probably a way to do it and you won't know unless you try so just just give it a go. I love that. And it reminds me of something that Azazel mentioned um, a while ago that I used to in my own practice this day. And um, my advice on adding to yours would be to talk to other witches and see what their practice is like, because maybe you might find something that's 
they do that you can use in your own practice. And so with Azazel, he mentioned one time that when he goes to the gym, sometimes if he's like powering through his last reps or he's really exhausted doing something like cardio or whatever, he will call on fire to give him that extra spark to get him through. And what do you know? Ever since he said that, I do that same shit now too. <laughs> and, um, you know, I've been able to get through all the reps doing all, doing that. And whether that's, you know, fire, the element of fire is hanging out of my gym or it's in my head, regardless, it helps get me through what I need in that moment. So I think that's fantastic advice. And I, I just would say to add to that, talk to other people around and see what they do and get some ideas that way as well. Mm-hmm, definitely. Well, Sherry, we have come to the end of the episode. If people want to get in contact with you or even see how to do any of these yoga things themselves, how can they find you? Yeah, so my personal Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok accounts, my handle is Super Saiyan Share for all of them. Shout out to the anime nerds who know what that's a reference to. It's it's Dragon Ball Z. So that's spelled super, just same as super. Saiyan is S-A-I-Y-A-N and then share C-H-E-R. So you can find me there. I also created an Instagram for my yoga practice. I haven't started posting on that page yet, but I hope to soon. And that way I can show you some of the practices that I discussed uh, during this podcast episode. And the handle there is beyond the body yoga. And there's an underscore between each word. So beyond underscore the underscore body underscore yoga. So you can find me there as well. Awesome. And if you were looking to find me, you can look up Seeking Witchcraft on Facebook. On Twitter, I'm at Seek Witchcraft. Instagram is Seeking Witchcraft. There is a Facebook group called Witches Seeking Witchcraft, where if you have any questions or want to talk about the show or share memes, feel free to post in there. And I have a Patreon if you want to support the show called um, Seeking Witchcraft. So just patreon.com slash Seeking Witchcraft. So thank you so much, Sherry, for coming on. And thank you, everybody, for listening. I hope this inspires people for their yoga practice. And we'll talk to you again very soon. Thanks so much for having me, Ashley. It was so great sharing all of this with people. Thank you. Thanks for coming. All right. Bye. Bye.